You know, it's really amazing watching these TNA shows, seeing how far they've come since the early beginnings. And I'm thinking to myself that some of these decisions that they've made were pretty awkward or bad. Then there's some decisions that I look at and I think, okay, these were really good decisions. How do I feel about Raven being the world champion? Well, you get his first title defense here, so I'm going to answer that. Welcome to another episode of Brace for Impact. I am your Impact player at WrestleLatic Radio, Nate the Effing Great. Always follow me on social media at Real Effing Game. And guys, we're looking at No Surrender 2005 which took place on July 17th, 2005, with an attendance record of 775. You know, honestly, guys, I may just keep telling you that the attendance has not changed because most of these attendance rec- attendances are just absolutely the same. It's not until they kind of branch out into other parts of this nation where you may, in fact, see some new numbers but for the most part they're doing it from orlando so it's still 775 so that's kind of where it's standing right now uh but the buy rate actually has dropped since the last show it's now down to fifteen thousand for a buy rate and it's kind of one of those things where i look at this and i think to myself well Raven's not exactly the draw as NWA World Champion, which makes me think, am I stating that Jeff Jarrett was actually a draw as NWA World Champion? Am I really going to go that far? I, I, What is my life right now? It's weird. So the opening package, uh, it's really interesting because they have everything going forward. And then it just goes completely backwards. In fact, in my notes, I have in here, ass backwards could be Raven's title run. (laughs) Honestly, I think that is such a harsh, but also very fair statement. Because I just don't, I still don't understand why they gave this to Raven. I really don't. It just makes no sense to me. But anyway... My opinion, I digress. So, during this opening package, I hear the voice of one Father James Mitchell. And I was already beyond the moon excited. I'm like, yes! Finally get to see the pairing of James Mitchell and Abyss. It gets interesting after a while. But honestly, I think that James Mitchell and Abyss just complement each other to a T. Absolutely loved it. Just... I love this pairing and has a deal where it says every beginning has an end, which that's fair. And then they just took the whole entire package and then they just sped it up on rewind. And then we get this where the opening deal where they say like, and now this company presents blah, 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 blah. This is literally how it goes. It goes, and now Wrestling presents No Surrender. That is literally how it opened up. I was so giddy with that because I'm thinking to myself, wow, so all of wrestling presents No Surrender. So you mean to tell me that WWE had a hand in this? That 
TNA had a hand in this, the NWA had a hand in this, New Japan. I'll, I know I'm going above and beyond with this joke, but at the same time, it it's so funny just hearing Wrestling Presents. Just, it's funny. So, we get an interesting deal with the stage now, because they're definitely a better design, where you definitely do see a lot more of the classic now, you know, TNA tunnels on each side. Uh, one side has a little bit more background to it, while the other side has, interestingly enough, like a safe-like situation. It's, it, it's, it's kind of interesting. It's kind of like the, the safe door is like slowly being closed, so everybody just goes through that one tunnel for all their entrances, which it's okay, but it's one of those things where I'm kind of bothered that we don't see anybody go through the other entryway in tonight's show, but it's, like I said, it is what it is. We go into the first matchup here in which we have Shane, Michael Shane, and Alex Shelley with Tracy in their corner taking on the team of America's Most Wanted. Oh, and also I should mention this, Shocker defeated Jarrell Clark in the sing singles pre-show matchup. Moving on from that, uh, Shelly takes it to Storm early. I mentioned this in the match that Shelly had versus Shocker, that Shelly definitely demonstrated a lot of, like, you know, holds, counter holds, and he found ways to just really work around the ring. This is, again, what he does here. Uh, Storm, he goes to skin the cat, and he goes for the super kick, but... Uh, Michael Shane gets out of it. And that's the real story about this entire thing is that Michael Shane and James Storm, they're the two guys in the company that really are the masters of the super kick. And who's going to hit the super kick first? And, oh, wouldn't it be crazy to see Michael Shane and James Storm? It's one of the silliest things, but it kind of was nice to see that. So two people have the same kind of finishers and they want to see them lock horns. Makes sense to me. Uh, America's Most Wanted, they hit their inverted atomic drop into a leg sweep. Always love that they can pull off some really great tag team moves. A delayed suplex to Michael Shane by Chris Harris. Very nice. And then we see <laughs> Shane and Storm again mentioning during commentary. It's the Battle of the Superkick. Storm throws Shelly off of the stage into a wall and then dives onto Shelly. That was something I was not expecting from James Storm in the least bit. Uh, Tracy hits a low blow, hits a low blow, but Harris is able to spookingo Shane. And honestly, guys, I'm gonna have to remember this. It's it's a counter because good friends over at Ruthless Aggression Pod American version, they talk about spookingos and back by drops. It's really great. So that's one for you guys. Uh, we see. <laughs> we see Harris cuff Tracy to a post so that way she can't get involved. Honestly, it was kind of an interesting idea. Uh, Shane gets spagingoed, number two, by one James Storm. Shelly hits, gets DDT'd. Uh, Shane gets power slammed. We see Shelly get hit with the Eye of the Storm. Both of them hit the... AMW hits the heart attack on Shane. They go for the death sentence, but Shelly's able to push Harris off of the ropes to prevent that from happening. Storm goes for uh, another skin of the cack, but Shane hits a drop kick, hitting him on the outside. Shane 
takes a shoe that was thrown to him by Tracy, uh, hits, uh, I believe it was Harris with it. Uh, second time around, though, he misses it. Storm hits Shelly with the super kick for the win. Americans was wanted, picks up the victory here at 11 minutes and 47 seconds. After the match is over, Shane hits the super kick on Storm to leave, and it's all over. It's end done. I gave this one a hard C. Normally, I'm very high on America's Most Wanted matches, and honestly, this was one where I was kind of disappointed. Maybe it was because of the fact that there was a lot of moments where they were fighting outside of the ring during the matchup, and I kind of didn't really document that too much because it was a long kind of deal where they were just out there for a while, and I just thought, man, this is taking a lot longer. It's kind of taking me out of the matchup here. So I think it was mainly that, either that or just the chemistry was not there. I just had a hard time really getting into the matchup here. But you may get into this because there is going to be a new debuting star at the end of the show. And ladies and gentlemen, Jeff Jarrett is asking about, about it in a highlight package where he asks, is Rhino going to be here tonight? Mike Tanay says, Rhino will be at no surrender. So that's right, guys. This is going to be the night you're going to see Rhino debut. When and where is the question. We get a backstage interview with Shane Douglas where he's interviewing Team Canada. I literally do not even have them as Team Canada on my notes. I just put down Canada because they represent all of Canada at this point. It's just what it is. They talk about getting revenge and retribution for what happened to Scott Demore at Slammiversary. Rue just really takes it home for that. Petey Williams talks about beating Daniels and winning the X Division title, which he is set to do in the uh, match before the main event. They're about to sing the Canadian National Anthem. It was kind of funny. Uh, Eric Young actually gets them started, and they're all just going, Oh, Canada! And Jeff Jarrett just stops them. <laughs> it's one of those things where it's like, You disrespectful bastard. <laughs> How dare you disrespect the Canadian national anthem? Wait, what? I'm American. What do I care? I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Fretz. I'm sorry, Slack. I'm sorry for everybody that's a Canadian fan that I might have offended with that. Uh, Jeff Jarrett, he tries to recruit Team Canada, and they're just like, oh, yeah, we're always on your side. It's fine. Uh, Jeff Jarrett talks about Black Wednesday, which for a lot of people that may not know is usually a time when you see like big cuts from WWE where they do like releases and stuff like that. That's happened quite a few times. And it's really been highlighted over the last few years in WWE. So the fact that they mentioned this even in 2005, that really just, that really hits at home. Uh, as soon as Jeff Jarrett leaves, Bobby Roode is just like, I don't really trust that guy. You know what? He has a guitar. He does a strut. He thinks that everything is his world. I can't blame you, Rude. We get a preview of the World X Cup. So what that is, ladies and gentlemen, is going to be a mini tournament that features X Division wrestlers from all around the world, especially within TNA. They're going to battle each other in a single elimination tournament, and the winner of the World X Cup will get an X Division title shot. And honestly, you guys, this is just a small seed into what is going to be a huge match of the year I'm not even going to say candidate. The huge match of the year just balls to the wall contender. There's no denying that this was going to be a match of the year contender. I am so excited. We're only two day, year, we're only two shows away from that. 
but we have a World X Cup qualifier in which we have Shark Boy versus Mikey Bats versus Elix Skipper versus Sanjay Dunt. And for those that are curious, it's a four-way matchup, and yes, they do do tags. But at this point, I'm kind of like that guy who has watched a bad movie for so long. You're already like an hour into it, and they do something that's really stupid. And you're just at a point where it's like, I just don't care anymore. So I'm at that point right now where when they do these tags with the four-ways, I just don't care. I, I literally am just like, whatever at this point. We get a nice showcase by Dutt and Skipper. We get Dunt just flying all over the place and a Hurricane Rana to Skipper. A high spine buster by Skipper to Dutt. That looked absolutely brutal. That's uh, rattled by Dunt because he got hit by a couple of high-risk maneuvers. Dutt and Shark... They trade drop kicks with each other. I thought that was kind of cool. There's even one point during this matchup where Shark Boy is about to bite Dutt's butt, but he gets Mikey Bats in the meantime. It's one of those things where it's like, oh my gosh, just Shark Boy never change. I love that dude. Um, Skipper hits a buckshot lariat to Shark. I thought that's always really kind of cool to see. Skip hits a springboard drop kick to Dunt. We get a neck breaker by Shark Boy to Skip. Skip, uh, Elix Skipper, he does this move where, if you remember Trish Stratus in like early to early to late 2004, she did this kind of matrix move where she's able to just uh, stand on her legs and hands and just kind of keep that there. Elix Skipper's doing that here, but this is where it gets to be good because Dud comes in and hits a stomp onto Skipper as he's doing the Matrix move. I thought that was actually really innovative. Uh, springboard dropkick uh, by Dud to Bats, taking him out. We get a roundhouse by Skipper. Poor Bats is just getting the ever-living piss beat out of him in this matchup. He tries to go for a walk of the ropes, but he gets tripped up. It looks like he just lands very wrong. Skipper just, oh my gosh, I was worried about that guy. Uh, high dive by Shark Boy to Skipper on the outside. I never saw a shark fly, and I'm glad I did. Dutt does a dive. Uh, Dutt hits a BK bomb to Bats on one side, while Shark hits a rolling power bomb to Skipper on the other side. Bats hits a super German suplex to Dutt, but as Dutt is coming off that German, he's able to spin in midair and do a moonsault to uh, Shark Boy. And lands it. I thought that was really cool. We get the sudden death to bats by Skipper, which is the air raid crash. A deep sea dive to Skipper by Shark Boy. It's really weird though because it looks like he hit the move, but it also looks like he kind of missed it. And Skipper kind of sells it like he just got blasted out of a cannon. We see Dutt take out Shark Boy. He hits a Phoenix splash to bats for the win, and Dutt is qualified for the 2005 Super X Cup Tournament at 8 minutes and 22 seconds. This one, I had to give a C as well. I was very disappointed in this matchup because I felt like there was a lot more that they could have done with this matchup. Maybe it was just the fact that, again, it's the tag deals that are just taking me out of it. Or it could be a situation where I just feel like they were not on the same level as they were probably in the last show. I think even the last show, the six-man uh, matchup, I gave a C. So I think it's just one of those things where you get so used to a lot of these spots that you're just kind of thinking, 
it's not impressive anymore. I don't know. It's just, I feel like there was just something off with this. Douglas is backstage interviewing Conan and Truth. Truth and Conan just have totally different sides on whether can they trust BG James? Can they not trust BG James? Conan is literally just like, I can't trust this dude. And Truth is just like, we, we got to have faith. He's, he's going to help us out. He's going to be a good guy. Next up, we have a random tag team matchup in which David Young and Simon Diamond, which I do believe are going to be the future Diamonds in the Rough, take on the team of Apollo and Sonny Sayaki. A lot of people may know that Sonny Sayaki and Apollo have definitely been a bit of a staple in the early deals of TNA. And honestly, they're a pretty good tag team. I'm really surprised that they have not been in the tag team title picture yet. <laughs> we get the, the uh, old phrase... From Simon Diamond, where he says, Simon has a problem, but he is putting over David Young hard in this, making him seem like, you know, he can bench press 400 pounds. He's a really good guy, but he hasn't gotten a win. Why is that? He hasn't had somebody to give him the right motivation, the right guidance, and I'm going to be the one that guides him to success. Well, you're going to. We're going to have to see if that's going to happen here. Apollo does a toss, a press, and a leg drop to Young. Already they're on the right track. We get a double-team flapjack to Young by Sayaki and Apollo. Sonny hits a Northern Light suplex. I thought that was actually really beautiful. Uh, Sonny goes over the top ropes and eats a David Young moonsault. Apollo dives over the ropes and he hits... Uh, the Diamonds, as I call them, David Young and Simon Diamond. A slap-off between Young and Sayaki. Jeez Louise, was that brutal? Uh, a double miss splash by both of the Diamonds. And we get another smoking go! This is three to Simon by Apollo. A huge, massive Sky high to Young by Apollo. Holy cow, did he get a lot of air. A discus punch to Apollo by Simon. Just, whew, that was a brutal punch. A cutter by Sayaki to Diamond. Spinebuster to Saki from Young. And then Apollo picks him up, hits a TKO to Young for the victory at 5 minutes and 13, 32 seconds. So, I wanted to be hard on this one, but... I think I've still found enough for me to enjoy this match. So I gave this one a C. It was just nothing really too spectacular. It wasn't really like a bad matchup. I think it was just one of those situations where they were only given so much time. And they could only do so much with the time that they were given. Probably given only about like a couple seconds. But they did the most of their time. So I can at least appreciate them for that. Oh, baby. Let's get into this. Up next, we have Samoa Joe taking on Chris Sabin. Now, a lot of people may have heard the fact that I was super hyped about Samoa Joe debuting last month. He had a great debut against Sanjay Dutt, and he has remained undefeated since debuting at that point. So the question is, is he going to continue that undefeated streak going into this matchup here? And is it going to be kind of the similar match style that we saw with Sanjay, or is it going to be a different style? Well, we're going to find out here. Samojo at the beginning, he just out-wrestles Chris Saban just at the start. I was impressed by this. This was one of those things where I was not expecting Samoa Joe to just right off the gate just do like mat wrestling holds and just doing everything like that. Chris Saban tries to hit two shoulder blocks, but they failed. 
but then he is able to hit a drop kick and a corner elbow to kind of get Samoa Joe reeling. But Samoa Joe hits a flying leg lariat to the face of Samo to Chris Saban. Absolutely amazing. We see a corner shining wizard, followed up by the face wash by Samoa Joe. Snapmare chopped to the back, kicked to the face, and the knee drop. Classic Samoa Joe. Two times Chris Saban is trying to get the momentum, but Samoa Joe is just like, nope, not happening. He hit, uh, Samoa Joe hits a suplex, which I was not expecting that at all. Chris Saban, after a while, he finally gets an advantage after hitting a springboard dropkick. Then he he does a dropkick to Samoa Joe as he's sitting out on the apron. And then as Samoa Joe is just outside the ring trying to gain some more composure, Saban comes off the apron, hits another dropkick. I thought that was kind of cool. Uh, we see Chris Saban hit a double foot stomp to the back of Joe and then a top rope leg drop. Honestly, I thought it was like a weird variation of a curb stomp at first. We see him go for the cradle shock to Samoa Joe, but Joe's able to hit a bridging German for a near count. The snap power slam by Samoa Joe. Save him with a kick to the stomach and then a springboard tornado DET. Everybody's just going like, oh man, well, this is getting really good. This is getting really good. Uh, Saban goes to the top rope and he goes for a dive but gets caught into an inverted atomic drop and this is where we first kind of see one of the master technician moves that Samojo does he picks up Saban hits him with a power bomb and then you get the one two Saban kicks out but just before he can even compose himself Samojo is able to transition into an STF and then after a while locks in a crossface and then after a while, he locks into a variation of the Rings of Saturn onto Saban until Saban gets to the ropes. My God, was this getting my blood flowing. Samoa Joe goes for the Muscle Buster, uh, but then it looks like he's going to go for a Superplex. Saban hits a power bomb of his own onto Samoa Joe for a near count. He gets him up, goes for a Cradle Shock again but is only able to hit an insecurity out of that. Samoa Joe catches Chris Saban as he goes to the top rope and hits him with the muscle buster and then hits a nice coquina clutch on Chris Saban for the technical submission at 14 minutes and two seconds. Guys, a matchup. I really did love this different style that Samoa Joe brought into this. I got to see a lot more of the familiar moves that I would see with Samoa Joe a little bit later on in his career. I really enjoyed everything about this matchup. Chris Saban, he didn't look like a slouch here, which was really good because you need to still keep a lot of your people strong, but you also have to realize you have to create this monster heel in Samoa Joe, and they did that. They kept Samoa Joe completely strong in this matchup, he probably, I would say this is almost like a 60-40 kind of matchup where Samojo had 60% of the offense and Chris Saban had about 40%, but it was still done really well. Both guys looked really great on there. This is a great matchup. Honestly, this is a tie for probably match of the night, and I'll get into the other matchup a little bit later on. We have Shane Douglas backstage again. He's talking to the Naturals and Hoyt, and also there's Jimmy Hart, baby! They are ready for Team Canada. They're ready to just try and finish off what they started. 
Jimmy talks about, uh, he mentioned something about an old saying about how youth and experience definitely can go hand in hand together. And he said, he said that the experience that he has and the megaphone are going to help him out. And it's especially when it comes to the stick, the hockey stick that team Canada brings. And honestly, you guys, I think that's really cool. You have a megaphone versus a hockey stick. What more can you ask for? But we're going into that next matchup. We have Team Canada, led by Eric Young, Bobby Roode, and A1 taking on the team of Lance Hoyt and the NWA Tag Team Champions, the Naturals. Hype video is kind of basic, nothing really too spectacular about it. Team Canada, right out the start, they are just jumping them, but that only lasts for a little while. Hoyt hits a flapjack to Roode before clotheslining him out of the ring. Canada go for the attack. Which, oh my god, this was a really interesting moment. So all three members of Team Canada are on the outside. And then all three of them just try to ambush Hoyt and the Naturals. Doesn't work out for them because they literally got knocked out of the ring. Chris, uh, oh my gosh, I can't remember. Chase Stevens, there we go. Chase Stevens and Andy Douglas. Uh, they do a dive on EY as well as on A1. Hoyt Spagingo to Rude, and then he dives on A1 and EY. For those of you keeping track at home, that's four. Now I'm doing a now <laughs> how I met your mother deal. Uh, Naturals hit a swing, swing uh, knee face buster, and then a neck drop, neck breaker, followed up by a leg drop. I actually kind of like this move here. A1. He eats an arm drag by Andy Douglas, as well as a reverse elbow. Hoyt is just getting some punches in. A1 finally gets the advantage until uh, Andy Douglas hits a high knee. Uh, the natural bulldog into the knee. I actually love this move as well. Eric Young, he just stomping a mud hole on Chase Stevens and walking him dry. Uh, really cool spot here where Chase Stevens is getting picked up in the bottom corner looks like Eric Young is going to do like an alley-oop where he just lifts him up and then just makes him land on his back as he's lifting up Chase Stevens Stevens does this kind of like roll where he's able to just land on his feet and then he's able to take out and then he's able to hit a nice top spring crossbody onto EY I thought that was a really nice spot rude holes uh Eddie with the hockey stick. Oh, he pulls an Eddie with the hockey stick. Where he's basically making it seem like Jimmy Hart hit him in the face. And that gets Jimmy Hart ejected there. A1 hits a nice running power slam to Chase Stevens. And honestly, guys, I thought that A1 was going to be like one of the worst things about these classic TNA reviews. He's actually not bad. So maybe I'm just quick to judge when it came to this guy. But it's kind of cool. Rude does his classic uh, kitchen sinks into the ropes, and then he does a back suplex, a full Nelson slam to Chase Stevens. Uh, Chase Stevens is able to get a little bit of an advantage with a power slam to Eric Young. Hoyt does a spin-out slam to Eric Young. And when I say spin-out slam, I mean, oh my God, Eric Young went from his back to his face in like a matter of moments. It was insane. He hits a choke slam to Bobby Roode and a big boot to A1 as he's got him locked in the choke slam. Does a 10 punch to EY. EY is going for the monkey flip. 
on Hoyt. Well, Hoyt hits a spine buster, and then Andy Douglas hits an elbow drop, which gets him a near fall. Not quite enough. The Naturals go for the natural disaster, but Rude is able to clock the Naturals with the megaphone, and EY gets the pin for the victory at 14 minutes and 44 seconds. I gave this one a B. I honestly liked the matchup itself. They had a lot of very interesting aspects to it, including having Jimmy Hart ejected. The megaphone played its ugly head at the end of it anyway, so I guess it didn't really matter whether he was ejected or not. Uh, I like that they made A1 kind of look like a comparable superstar, so that was kind of nice. I think that everybody here looked really good, in all honesty. That's kind of the safe way to put it. We go backstage with a interesting interview with the outlaw and Monty Brown. The outlaw basically is stating that you know everybody knows who he is and that he's a big uh, supporter of the Bullet Bob Armstrong family, and he believes that he is actually like a another son to the Bullet Bob name. So he is actually changing his name to Kip James instead of the Outlaw. And that's where we're kind of seeing this going. It's, it gets interesting. Monty Brown is doing his classic deal where he is just <laughs> mocking the three live crew. He's about to do his classic and gets cut off by Jeff Jarrett, who Kip James says, dude, yeah, no, I'm going to be more than happy to help, help you out, but we still have a match. And he says at least two or three times, like, Dude, I'm on your side, but we have a match. Dude, I'm on your side, but we have a match. So Kip James kind of leaves, and Monty Brown's just like, you know, yeah, I would love to support you, but uh, I have not got my world title shot. And since you're not the world champion, well, sucks TBU. So we go into the next matchup, which is uh, Monty Brown and Kip James taking on Conan and Ron Killings of the three live crew. Another promo where it's showing like a fight and cracks within the crew. Oh, and I forgot to mention the fact that this is a street fight, so this should be fun, right? Kind of. They brawl early on. Killings throws out uh, Monty Brown and then just dives onto him. Yep, James gets busted open by Conan early. Uh, it looks like he got busted open because of either a post or something that Conan did. I can't remember exactly what it was. But Conan gets a cooking sheet, just bashing it over Kip's head. And then he also hits the referee because reasons. We got a new ref in. It's fine. Uh, we get the go wide to Monty Brown, which I mentioned is a where Conan grabs the legs of his opponent, in this case, Monty Brown, spreads them, and then R-Truth from the top, Ron Killings, I should say, from the top rope, just hits a leg drop to the crotch. That's what I call it for the go-wide. Uh, they're about to do the same thing to Kip James, but they get stopped by Monty Brown. Conan does some punches and gets kicked by Monty Brown and Kip. We get a cookie sheet to Conan. Brown tosses Killings into an apron hard. It was, it was a rough spot. Brown goes for the Alpha Bomb onto Truth, but we get a counter into a Hurricane Rana. Axe kick by Truth to Brown. 
hip, stops the referee from making that three count, throws him into the railing to take him out. Kip hits a DDT to Conan on the chair to take him out. We see the pounce by Monty Brown to R-Truth, Ron Keelings, for the win at 5 minutes and 20 seconds. Kip, he does the whole, if you're not down with that, we got two words for you. Suck it. And he's just inviting Kip, he's inviting BG James, who is on the rampway, just kind of watching this whole thing kind of unfold. And it just, it was really weird because he gets invited by Kip James to come into the ring to beat down on Ron Killings. And BG's like, no, I'm out. So, yeah, that's kind of how that segment ends. I gave this matchup a D. It wasn't a total failure of a matchup, but nobody looked good in this matchup. Maybe Ron Killings and a little bit of Monty Brown, but Kip James and Conan, it was not one of their best matches, and this matchup was way too short for a street fight. That's why I said maybe, but I really meant to say Hell no, it was bad. So, Shane Douglas is backstage once again. This time he's talking to Jerry Lynn, who is going to be the special guest referee for the next matchup. Jerry Lynn is just saying, hey, I'm not going to have any favorites in this matchup, but I'm also not going to be a pushover either. And this next matchup here is Sean Waltman versus AJ Styles with Jerry Lynn as the special guest referee. The story behind this is kind of interesting because AJ Styles and Sean Waltman have been kind of feuding a bit ever since Slammiversary, ever since Waltman essentially cost AJ Styles the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. So it's literally been brewing between the two of them. And Jerry Lynn is kind of in the middle, basically saying that he wants to see the best man win between the two of them. And he feels like the only way that you can really do that is if he is in the middle as the referee. So that's essentially it. So that's why Jerry Lynn is involved with this. He's got history with Sean Waltman. He's got history with AJ Styles. They mentioned quite a bit of their history between the two of them, like Jerry Lynn and Sean Waltman have their deal with you know WCW. Jerry Lynn and AJ, they were NWA Tag Team Championship partners at one point. So it's kind of one of those things where they were like, you know, let's just see how this all breaks down. So we get some nice back and forth between AJ Styles and Sean Waltman. These guys are putting on a nice clinic just to start the matchup. And AJ's able to hit a pendulum backbreaker. He hits a suplex. He hits a slam. And he drop. He does a reverse death lock where he locks the legs. And then he does kind of like a last chancery kind of deal. Uh, then he hits a beautiful drop kick dive to the outside and then he gets an atomic drop crotch shot to the post by Sean Waltman what I mean by that is that he picks is that Waltman picks up AJ and he just kind of throws him into the post it just literally looks like he's just tossing his balls into the into the post it, it's rough uh, we get a snapmare into the ring and a leg drop a tilt-a-whirl backbreaker by Waltman. He goes for the Bronco Buster, but gets caught into a pop-up that almost looks like he's going to hit with be hit by the Styles Clash, but he counters it and he's able to hit that Bronco Buster as well as a spin kick. He goes to the top rope and he hits this kind of like spin dive onto AJ. 
And AJ kind of returns the favor where he picks up Sean Waltman and he tosses his crotch into the post because why not at this point? We get a very nice phenomenal forearm into the ring. He goes for a springboard backflip DDT and connects it. Suplex into a neckbreaker attempt, but Sean Waltman counters it with a low blow and then a a neck breaker kind of deal. We see him go for a crossbody, but eats an AJ Styles dropkick because AJ Styles knows how to do this kind of stuff. AJ does a, oh, this is a really nice spot. So AJ Styles, he does a backslide, but then he catches Sean Waltman into a double underhook. And then he picks him up, catches him into the clash, hits it for a near three count. AJ Styles goes to the top rope. He misses a spiral tap, and then Sean Waltman hits the X-Factor for a near three count. Sean Waltman, he grabs a chair. He's going to try and go into the ring. He wants to break AJ Styles' leg, but Jerry Lynn pulls it out and throws it out of the ring, saying that's not how it's going to happen. AJ Styles, he goes for the clash, but Waltman, he grabs the ropes to kind of give himself a little bit of leverage. Lynn kicks Waltman's arms, and Styles is able to hit the Styles Clash for the second time for the victory here at a very wonderful 14 minutes and 37 seconds. This matchup is the match that I really am having a hard time grading because, honestly, I really do love the chemistry between AJ Styles and Sean Waltman. I felt like maybe there were some spots where they kind of lost a little bit of that magic, but for the most part, it was a really good matchup. So it was between an B or an A. I've seen a lot of reports that said that this was one of Sean Waltman's best matches in TNA, if not in his entire career. And I'm just going to play it safe. I'm going to say that it's a B right now, leaning towards an A. This was a tough one for me to really kind of judge because I love the you know the chemistry between these two guys and I really love the great you know back and forth between them a lot of the counters were just absolutely phenomenal they were really great so it's kind of one of those things where it's like you just don't know which way it's going to go it's very high up there but at the same time it's not the perfect matchup it's still really good just not perfect so it's it's I'm torn I'm really torn because it's a, it is a really good matchup. Oh, hey, another Jeff Jarrett segment, because why not? He's talking to Larry Zabisco. He's just like, I want a title shot. Larry Zabisco's like, you're going to have to wait for your place in line. Jeff's like, well, I want to know where Rhino is because I want to welcome him with my guitar. That's essentially what the segment is. It's really getting to a point where this is getting super annoying, that Jeff Jarrett is in so many backstage deals. It's like, Jeff, we get it. It's your show. But take a breather, dude. My God, just stop. This is no surrender. And I surrender to the fact that I thought that Jeff Jarrett was not going to be a small part of the show. I was wrong. Up next, we have the TNA X Division Championship on the line as the champion Christopher Daniels defends against P.D. Williams. A couple X-Factors that they mentioned at the start of this. Uh, talk about Daniels' global domination where he's beaten you know, somebody from America. He's beaten me people in me from Mexico. Now, 
he's trying to move on to Canada. The thing is that there's no coach to more in the corner of P.D. Williams, so it's going to be interesting to see what happens. He's got A1 because that's somehow a great substitute. And it's the Canadian Destroyer versus the Angels Arsenal. That's not a move. It's just Christopher Daniels' arsenal of moves because you have to remember that he has utilized moves like the Kochi Clutch, the BME, as well as the Angels Wing. So he has quite a bit of interesting deals that really throw out in here. So the matchup kicks off. Petey Williams goes on the offensive early. He wants to win the X Division title. Uh, he throws Christopher Daniels to the outside, and he does a slingshot Hurricane Rana on the outside. Just, whew, I love these kind of moves by Petey Williams. It's great. He hits a suplex, and then he hits a Hurricane Rana into the side Russian leg sweep. Puts Daniels in the Tree of Woe, and we get, you guessed it, Oh, Canada. We get a slingshot leg drop onto the apron. He goes for another Hurricane Rana on the outside, but Christopher Daniels counters, grabs him, hits a power bomb onto the apron like Kevin Owens would do. And ladies and gentlemen, we're at a five count because it's another go by Christopher Daniels. We get a triple backbreaker by Christopher Daniels, a bear hug, a tilt-a-roll backbreaker, a delayed suplex. Daniels is really kind of laying it into P.D. Williams. He knows he's not a pushover, sir. These two guys trade blows until Christopher Daniels hits a reverse STO and then the Koji Clutch. Like we said before, it's one of his main arsenal moves. Uh, A1 is able to pull P. Williams' foot to the ropes to cause a break. We see Daniels hit a move that looks like the big ending that Big E does, but it's supposed to take both of them out. Interesting. Interesting to say the least. Petey Williams is mounting a comeback. He's hitting clotheslines, shoulder tackles. He's a spin kick. Uh, as he's mounting this comeback, we see Samoa Joe watching on the rampway. And they announce the fact that he is going to be in the Super uh, X Cup tournament. So he's going to be one of the eight individuals that will be competing. Well, actually, one of six, I should say. Yeah, well, no, one of eight, one of eight, because there's him as well as Sanjay Dutton as well. And I'm actually going to talk a little bit about the Super X Cup matches in the next review for sacrifices. So be on the lookout for that. A drop kick by Petey Williams to the back of Christopher Daniels. He hits a very unique style DDT where he just flips up and then just plows him into the ground. Daniels hits the Death Valley driver. We get a scoop slam by Christopher Daniels. It looks like he's going to go for the BME. But Petey Williams grabs the leg of Daniels before he could do anything and just transitions it into the sharpshooter. I've never seen somebody do that before. And it looks awesome. It was really cool. Uh, Daniels is able to make a little comeback with an STO. He goes for the Uranagi, but gets countered into a Canadian Destroyer attempt. Uh, but that gets countered into an Angel Wings attempt, and just as he's lifting up P.D. Williams, P.D. Williams counters it into, you might have guessed it, a Hurricane Rana, baby. <laughs> we see Christopher Daniels hit a top rope scoop slam, which I've never seen that done before, but it was kind of cool. He goes for a crossbody. P.D. Williams dodges it. He hits a crucifix pin to Christopher Daniels, but unfortunately it's only for a two count. We see A1 distracting the referee, and 
He tosses a chain to Petey Williams. It looks like he's going to use it on Christopher Daniels, but Daniels, being smart, he got a chain of his own. Bonks Petey Williams in the face. He hits the best moonsault ever to Petey Williams for the win to retain the title at 16 minutes and 24 seconds. I gave this one a B. It was not the perfect matchup, and honestly, this was a really good matchup, but I feel like there's still a little bit of offness to this matchup. I feel like maybe this wasn't their best matchup, but it's definitely still a really good matchup. I really did love that these guys were out there just laying it all on the line for the X Division Championship, and now we know that the winner of the Super X Cup Tournament will face Christopher Daniels for the X Division title, but who will be the person that wins that Super X Cup? We'll find out at Sacrifice, because they announced that at Sacrifice, the finals of the Super X Cup Tournament will take place there. So, we're about to see how that's about to go. Main event time, ladies and gentlemen. It's a dog collar no surrender match for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship, in which Abyss, with the aid of James Mitchell, takes on Raven, the NWA World Heavyweight Champion. Now, for those that are kind of curious as to what this matchup all entails, basically what they have is the competitors have dog collars put around their necks, but instead of a leash, they're going to actually have a chain that's going to latch the two of them together. And the reason why they're calling it a no-surrender match is because the only way you can win is by pinfall. You can't throw the towel in. You can't say, I surrender. So, with that being said, we're going to have the, obviously, two biggest submission machines going to have no submission arsenal in this matchup. But in all honesty, it doesn't even matter. High Package honestly introduces James Mitchell in a really cool way where he basically says that, you know, why aren't you the NWA World Champion? You need guidance. And we're seeing a lot of the, you know, fights between Abyss as well as James Storm. James Storm. Jeez Louise. We get Abyss and Raven. Jeez Louise. I much rather would have had James Storm in this matchup. That's why I'm thinking that. But also we have Jeff Jarrett involved in this. He wants a title shot. He says he will be anybody, even a new guy, to get his title shot. And I'll tell you this right now. Jeff Jarrett is not involved in this matchup. But he will be involved in a different way. A couple of taglines here. We have the destiny fulfilled of Raven winning the NWA World Heavyweight title. That, of course, happened. I already talked about that a little bit in detail in the last show. Uh, James Mitchell, who is the master manipulator, getting Abyss on the right track, and the no surrender rules applying here. Abyss is using the chain early, just beating down uh, Raven with it. He grabs a fan chair from ringside and wedges it in the corner, hits Raven with a big boot. Raven is just going to the outside grabbing chairs, throwing them in the ring, and while Abyss is distracted with all these chairs, Raven pulls on the chain and pulls Abyss into the wedge chair that was in the corner. Whips Abyss with the chain quite a few times. He wraps the chain up into his fist. He goes for a punch onto Abyss, but Raven hits a post instead. Abyss, he hits a splash on the Raven with the chair on top of him, and when that doesn't do it, he decides to stack some chairs in the middle of the ring, put Raven on top of the chairs, and it looks like he's going to go for a leg drop or some kind of dive or such like that. He instead, eats, his butt eats the chairs. Just, oof, 
that was a very, 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 very tough thing to watch. Uh, Raven gets uh, choked with the chain a little bit, but Raven's able to grab a chair and bash Abyss into the head, which causes him to bleed. Raven grabs, I think it was almost like a $20 bill, and he just staples the the $20 bill to Abyss's head twice. It was a brutal... Oh, jeez. I, I do not like the staple gun spot. Uh, Raven gets pulled into a post, which causes him to get busted open. Abyss and Mitchell set up three tables at the stage area. Abyss gets Raven to the top of the rampway. He goes for a chokeslam, but Raven kicks him square in the balls. And then he sends Abyss off of the stage through two tables. And it looks like Raven's going to just go down and see how everything's going. But Abyss is able to grab the chain, pull Raven into that third table that was set up on that uh, deal down the rampway. That was a really innovative spot. I thought that was kind of cool. So Raven is getting just choked out by the chain and James Mitchell's just on a microphone saying like, oh, hey, don't you want to quit Raven? Oh, that's right. You can't make him squeal, Abyss. So Abyss is just choking him out and then he just sets up a table onto a post. Raven charges at him and both of them go through the table. Apparently, this is also a false count anywhere deal because we get an early pin attempt there between the two of them. Uh, Discus clothesline by Raven. He hits a bulldog. He hits the Raven effect DDT for a near three count. Uh, he chokes Abyss on the outside of the ring. Mitchell attacks Raven and he just breaks the cane over Raven's back. Somehow, the chain magically gets off of both men. Abyss, he grabs the black bag that's under the ring. And you can guess what's inside of it. It's his favorite toy. He rips off Raven's shirt because everybody's stating that he is going to just make sure that Raven is in more pain when he sends him through the attacks. The attacks get played out. And he sets up Raven up at a court. And we hear the fans chanting, this will hurt. This will hurt. And they do this other random thing where they're talking about Abyss. It's it's a weird little chant that they do. I I did not understand it fully. Uh, it looks like Abyss is going to send him through the attacks when Cassidy Riley comes in. Apparently, he got his fingers broken by Raven, where he doesn't take it the hard way. He actually joins Raven up as like a member of his new flock or something like that. I don't know. Uh, there was a table that was set up at ringside. Abyss just grabs and throws Cassidy Riley into that table. Abyss gets thrown into the tax, and then he hits a black hole slam onto Raven for a near three count. Raven's able to fight back, hit the Raven effect DDT into the tax for the one, two, three, and pick up the victory. This matchup, does it do anything for me? No, it, it, it really, I really enjoy Abyss, and I really do enjoy the brutality that they were trying to bring to this, but I feel like it just was missing something, and that's why I gave this one a C. There was still something that was kind of missing. Maybe I just have this disdain for Raven, or maybe I'm just not big on Raven as world champion. He... It just doesn't feel right. It really doesn't. So, 
yeah, see for the mat matchup here. Jeff Jarrett, he comes out and he is stating the fact that he's going to get his title back from Raven. And in the midst of all this whole deal, Jeff Jarrett tells Raven to turn around. Raven turns around. Gore! 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 It's Rhino. He debuts in TNA. Jeff Jarrett grabs the belt. He's looking to raise it above his head, and the show goes off the air. And that's how it ends, with Rhino debuting, and Jeff Jarrett is holding the world title. Overall thoughts. The final grading I have for this, I gave this show a B. Now, for a show that has Raven main eventing again, it's not a bad show, but the things that did hurt it were pretty obvious. A bit of lackluster deals with the X Division uh, Super X Cup matchup. There was the street fight that literally did not feel like a street fight. It just literally felt like a rejected uh, GCW matchup. I hate to be that person, but it did. Um, highlights for this were, honestly, you kind of already heard me talking about them. Uh, Samoa Joe and Chris Saban were really great. Team Canada, Lance Hoyton, and the Naturals were absolutely great. And the final, the two matches before the main event, the exhibition title matchup and the Sean Waltman AG Styles match were really good. So overall, it's not a horrible show, but it's one of those shows where I just, I can't believe that Raven main event this. I, I really can't. But it is what it is, and he's he's going to main event ne next show, too. You just know it is. I mean, I'm literally just going to be looking right into this. And, uh, yeah, no, I'm looking into that. And, oh, for the love of all that's high and mighty, this is, uh, is going to be interesting. So the main event of the next show is Raven and Sabu. Versus Jeff Jarrett and Rhino. And all I have to ask is, why? Why is this even happening? I am very interested to in seeing how this all breaks down. But that is for another time. This has been my review of No Surrender 2005, a event that had a No Surrender match as the main event and honestly if they do that again i would be totally fine with that i'd really kind of like the concept of having a no submission kind of matchup you're just literally beating each other until somebody cannot stand again it's just i kind of like the idea of that matchup it's kind of cool so with that being said you guys thank you so much for joining in thank you so much for listening in at another brace for impact episode we are going to continue with this all the way to 2005, all the way till present day. And guys, I'm looking forward to talking about more of these shows. So thank you so much. If you want to be a part of the cure for the common wrestling fan, definitely check out Wrestle Attic Radio at Attic underscore Wrestle on Twitter. You can definitely find everybody from myself, Fretzelmania, Fretzelmania Kings of the Rings podcast, as well as the Young Lions Perspective. Everybody at WrestleLack Radio is putting their heart and their soul into everything that we put into you guys. So definitely enjoy the stuff. Enjoy the creations that we have created. If you want to show your love, please, by all means, listen to every single show that we have. Definitely give us a five-star rating on iTunes because I think that'd be really cool. Uh, definitely 
give a huge shout out to us whenever you purchase our merchandise. The link will be in the description below. Definitely check that out because our merchandise is rocking. It is killing. So definitely pick up some of your own merch so that way we can join you and support you guys as well. So thank you guys so much for listening in. I've been Nate the Effing Great, the impact player of Wrestle Attic Radio. Thank you so much for listening in. I'll see you guys in the next episode. Bye-bye.